0: Good morning. morning. Bow with me, if you would, as we open God's word together. Father, thank you for uh, being drawn into fellowship with you. Thank you for uh, allowing us to participate in the work that you're finishing here to gather out from every tribe and tongue and people and nation across the globe, the ones that you've chosen before the foundation of the world. We ask that you might, as we open your word, open our hearts, open our eyes to see those things which you would particularly have for us individually, that we might be the more useful and fruitful in this work. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Would you uh, read with me this morning the primary text that I will be on? You can turn there if you'd like. It's in First Thess, but it's up here on the overhead. <clears throat> Brethren, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, the uh, most mature church in the New Testament. We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. It is this uh, exhortation to excel still more more that I would ask you to consider with me this morning as we end this year and look for another year in the service of our Lord excelling still more. Many of you here are like the believers in Thessalonica. You are you're not rookies. You haven't started the course. You're some of you decades longer than I care to think, decades in the service of the Lord. You've uh, learned his word, you've been exposed to good teaching, accurate teaching. You have uh, been out in the world a bit, you understand what is there, you've uh, faced the test that the Lord has given to you. These folks, if you remember, received the word of God in much tribulation, and they had continued to stand for the Lord even in spite of that. And yet the exhortation of this whole letter to these mature Christians is what? It's repeated several times. It is, excel still more. <laughs> Many of them, uh, I think, had already lost friends and family and spouses and jobs by choosing to serve Christ. These uh, are folks that the Lord Jesus, or a Paul, praised to everyone else. I've told everyone about your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. I'm proud of you. You've uh, excelled well. You've done well. Now, I want you to excel still more. Why is that? Why would we expect this to be written to these mature Christians? Well, there are two reasons primarily. One of them is there are no plateaus in the Christian life. We are to go on to maturity. We're to be transformed progressively into the likeness of Christ. We're not there yet. They weren't there yet. They had a ways to go. And so we're to continue on and we're to do better than we did in the many things that we could talk about that are part of being the Christian life. The second reason is their usefulness to the Lord would be quite diminished if they did not continue on to excel still more. we just saying this, uh, or we quoted this text. Add to your faith, bang, add to this, add to this. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, that renders you neither useless nor unfruitful. Now, there's a number of reasons for that as we go up the Christian life and get to this place to continue on. And we won't go into that this morning because we want to look at uh, precisely how this is to be done, given to us with the exhortation to this particular uh, group of uh, Christians. How are we to excel still more? Well, we're told precisely how God wanted them to be doing it, and it's given to us here so that we might do it ourselves. Number one, and I'm going to list these down here, Uh, And uh, I'll give you an exhortation about it in a little bit. (laughs) We are to excel still more in giving ourselves to him. This is number one. Uh, God doesn't ask this of the many. We don't find it in the letter to the Corinthians. We don't find it anywhere but this particular letter to these who are the mature ones to go on to... uh, maturity only uh, a few of those that we are reading about and they're hearing all the things that are there have excelled in self-denial in the many other ways but I want you to notice uh, this which comes from second Corinthians chapter 8 this is a letter to another church about these folks who are the most mature ones that are being Ape to Excel Still More, and it talks about exactly this first point, which comes before everything else. Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. Those are, that's Thessalonica. That's the other churches that were associated with them, but they're the main church there and the most mature church there in Macedonia. That in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the sport in support of the saints. Now, they had given an offering according to their ability, but beyond their ability to Christians who were in great trouble there in Jerusalem, and they were supporting these Jewish Christians. And but notice. They first gave of themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. I was very surprised that they did this. Not as I expected, but before they gave this, they had given themselves completely to the Lord, and he was the one who was leading them to do this. Yieldedness is a word we often use to describe this. Submission, dying to self, loving God to the contempt of myself, brokenness. George Mueller said that nine-tenths of the battle here of living the Christian life is to come to the place of having no will of my own in the matter. He said, once you get there, the issue is taken care of. That's where they came. So how are we to excel still more? Well, like this, we're to begin by bringing ourselves before the Lord and offering ourselves to him. I want to encourage you, if you've never done this before, to start the year off with uh, spending some time alone with the Lord. I got a call from a friend of mine this week. As a matter of fact, he texted me earlier this morning. <laughs> uh, we don't do that very often, but he was encouraging me. But he had just finished his 40th day of fasting. Now, it wasn't consecutive, but the first three days or four days, because you need that many to get to 40, the first three or four days of each month, he set aside to be with the Lord for a period of fasting. Uh frankly I think it's easier to go forty year to forty days. I haven't been there myself. Uh know several fellows that have been there. But uh typical for me has been is why we shared this, but uh we were encouraged to, to do this uh, about forty years ago. Uh and we've been friends going he's over in uh, Wisconsin. But uh the first few days of each year to so just get alone with the Lord. Leave your cell phone away. Don't let your wife call you. Uh, don't be interrupted by other things if possible. Take a day if you want. But to uh, set yourself apart there and, go, and then get to the place where you're willing to do whatever he wants you to do. I have on the back tables a two-page summary of the principles of going through a time of uh, separation or in fasting, if you would, with the Lord. Um, If you've never done that before, and I doubt that that's the case with many of you, uh, there's a little book called God's Chosen Fast. It's not very big. In one or two pages, it covers all of the references to fasting that you find in the Scripture. It's a very good summary. Three things to remember if you do this. And I'm encouraging you to do it, above all the other things we talk about. How am I going to do that, some of you are saying, with my schedule? Hmm. Well, what's more important here? But in any event, uh, drink water. First three days, uh, you may struggle a little bit. But after that, if you decide to go further than that, you won't be hungry. There's no issue until way down the road. Uh, But you need to drink water. The most important thing is coming out of a fast that lasts at least a week or longer. uh, You need to do that very, very carefully, very, very slowly. Otherwise, your body is going to be in such pain that you haven't experienced before. So come out of it very, very slowly. But whether you fast or not, the encouragement here is to give yourself to the Lord. What does he want you to do this year? And the biblical principles of spending that time with him are summarized on a page there, and you can pick it up when we are uh, finished this morning. Excel still more in giving yourself uh, to the Lord. Uh, I beseech you, bear, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship, given what he's done for you. Second of all, <clears throat> oh, uh, we're going to miss that. We're going to skip that. We are to excel still more in the renewing of our mind. Um, the second thing that comes after the verse that I just quoted you is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we go to set ourselves apart for him, the renewing of our mind that may, we, we may prove what the will of God is, is uh, the next step in which we're to excel still more. You've uh, all spent much time in this area. You've read God's Word. You've memorized it. You've been to Bible classes. How many sermons have you listened on a Sunday morning? 2,000, Two thousand, twenty-five hundred. Some of you. I wouldn't doubt it if you counted them up. Um, every day, you uh, have done well. So, what, if, what would the Lord say to you regarding this particular thing this year? Excel, still more. Put more of God's word in your mind every day and may it be the basis of everything you do, every issue you face, and be able to have God's opinion about it so you can impose it upon your own will. How much time do you spend talking to God every day? In the morning, O Lord, I'll order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch every morning. I'll meditate upon you in the night watches, Psalm 4, Psalm 5. In the middle of the day, I'll continually be doing that. I'm not talking to a group of people that don't do this. What I am saying is the most mature group in the New Testament was encouraged to excel still more in this. I have been impressed with Dr. Matt and a couple of the rest of you. Every time I see him, he has the word of God wherever I have seen him whatever he has been doing, he's got the Word of God there, and I don't know what he's been able to do. He's 25 years older than me. And what has he done during this bout, give or take? It might be more. Uh, But I can imagine that during this extra time, he spent a lot of it in the Word of God because that's all he wants to talk about. That's all he's come to me and exhorted me to do. Uh, it's been a wonderful thing, and some of the rest of you have done the same thing. But the point is, God would have us to excel still more in being renewed in your mind. There's something else that has to go on instead of just putting the God's word in, and that's keeping everything else out. That's not being influenced by other things that would take and influence your mind. That's being very, very careful about what you watch. Is watching an NFL game and influencing you to uh, walk in a manner worthy of your calling? Are the examples that are given there uh, godly ones? I could go down the list of all the things there. You know, our generation faces temptations and tests in this area that have not been faced by generations prior to 1950. The auditory input and the visual input that comes to us my grandpa came out here and his mom came out in a covered wagon and they lived on a farm. And uh, they came to church because that was the most stimulation they got other than the horses or the cows or the sheep or whatever else they were doing. But the the difficulty they had with bad influences was not anything compared to what we're faced with. If we're going to excel still more, we're going to have to take some steps in that area. Uh... When I was raising my kids, we went for years and years and years with no television. It wasn't a good influence then, and my goodness, it's really gotten a lot better, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. We are to excel still more. If you've never done a TV fast, give it a try. If you've never done a cell phone fast, give it a try. That might be a little bit harder. Mm. How did I ever drive the Safeway without my cell phone before? I wonder and think about it. How did I get to that place? How did I make it to Trinity from where I came if I had not been here two or three times? My goodness, what an invention. However, it has its difficulties, doesn't it? In any event, the Lord is saying, Excel still more in the renewing of your mind. And may he guide you and direct you as to what he wants you to put in and what he wants you to keep out. Number three, we are told to excel still more in our love of the brethren. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need, folks, for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. What an example you are. I brag about your love. Now, I urge you, excel still more. Remember that according to their ability and beyond their ability and out of their extreme poverty, and I'm quoting here, they asked for the privilege of loving the hurting brothers in Jerusalem and became an example of considering others more important than themselves. To these mature Christians who were wonderful examples, he exhorts to excel still more. Well, Lord, this past year, I've given more to the work of the ministry than I ever have. Well done. Excel still more. Lord, I've forgiven these offenses that have come from foolish and selfish brothers that you have brought into my life across my path. I've done that and I've completed that and good job. Excel still more in your forgiveness of them. Love your enemies like I loved you. My love for you does not diminish. Your love for others is not perfect yet. I'll give you what you need. I'll strengthen you to be able to do this. But I want you to excel still more. He doesn't ask this of immature Christians who are just learning to do it. He says, everybody knows how you practice this. But I want you to love the brothers and sisters in Christ still more. Agape love is not phileo. (laughs) One is brotherly kindness, but the word that we're talking about here means an act of the will, it's self-denial. It's an act of considering others more important than yourself. Some of you have done this very well, some of you to a great extent. God has led you and enabled you to give your life in the service of others sacrificially. Well done. But this year... He asks you to excel still more. (laughs) He's able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency for this, you may have an abundance to love those that don't deserve it. Give your life to them. In a fourth place, he would exhort us to excel still more in our concern for the lost. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly toward outsiders. Now, notice this is not a call to go to a, a new mission field in search of lost ones, although it doesn't exclude that. This is a call to excel in your conduct and character, that the reputation of Christ would go up in the eyes of those you have been placed among because you're living, as it were, here for them. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, your self-control perseverance, to your perseverance godliness, to your godliness brotherly kindness, fellow, and to your brotherly kindness Self-sacrificing, self-denying love. He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his sins. But the verse that I left out there was: "If these qualities are yours and in increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful." Back to the same concepts we talked about. But what concern do you have? For those that are lost. How many people have you witnessed to in the last month? Neighbor? I remember right after I was saved, I was going to a church and all the preacher ever did was preach the gospel. Bill. What was his last name? Can't remember. Me either. Uh, Never heard anything but the gospel. The gospel, I... He took me to a uh, seminar on the weekend uh, and stopped at the gas station. And we were there for a half an hour. He witnessed everybody who was pumping gas. I was kind of frustrated. He did the way on the way back. He just had a heart for people, evangelizing with people. It was a good lesson for me because I hadn't done that. And uh, he wasn't particularly good at it, I didn't think. Uh, but uh, people did come to Christ even through his ineptness. But he had a great concern for the lost, a great concern for the lost. So make it your ambition to be a light shining in the dark place, wherever you go, that the reputation of Jesus Christ is not diminished by what you do and what you say. And then the positive, aggressive side of that is to do that, which would uh, win people to Christ. We are called upon to excel still more in hope, in taking whatever difficult circumstances God allows into our lives and put them in the perspective of what we're told in the scripture, that we may persevere and be steadfast in the things that he allows into our lives. We are to excel still more in putting our hard circumstances in God's perspective of Christ's coming for us in all of their maturity, the Thessalonians had an incomplete understanding of things to come, didn't they? They thought that the Lord was coming back soon. You remember the pastors teaching through this very well. They they uh, they were grieving because they had no hope of the things that were true, and so he went to great extent to teach them that what Christ had said was going to come to pass and the ones that had passed were going to be, as a matter of fact, they were there in heaven already. They had lost their loved ones to death and their hope was very weak and they needed to excel still more in this particular area. Their losses and their hurts were controlling their thoughts and their lives and they needed to be comforted with God's promises and excel still more in hope. So God gave them that perspective, and then he said, now take this truth and take these other truths and comfort one another with them. What's the measure of maturity in this area for us who are mature Christians facing difficult circumstances? What would you say is the measure of someone who is taking what God has said about things to come and is imposing it on his thoughts and his emotions. Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. The word joy there stands out. Is that me? No, that's David. Okay, David, get your act together. What a great guy he is to do this. Count it all joy, brethren. And then there's the other verse uh, we could miss... Go through several of these, but uh, Romans 8:28, God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and are the called according to His purpose. So the providence, the providential rule and overrule of God, to take the circumstances and the grievous things we face and to turn them by His power into glory for Himself and those He loves, is the point of Romans 8:28. So taking these truths that we know about things to come uh, is uh, the means by which we do this. I have a friend who, and we were started homeschooling together, although he lived in uh, central Oregon several hours away, and he was pastoring a little church there, and he felt called to go to uh, Africa. So uh, he and his wife, um, soon as the, soon as the boys graduated from high school, uh, which is an interesting thing and they're both doing fine and well but uh, one of them came and live with us for about a year um, but they were over in Africa and they were helping the uh, widows and the orphans who they found out in the bush there in uh, Uganda whose the men had been murdered by the, the uh, Muslim groups that were there so in the southern part of the Sahara Desert you have all of this kind of going all the way across the continent but they ended up having about 200 kids they would raise they would build a little uh, house and they would get a widow and then they would give her two or three kids more than she had and then they would provide from the support that they were getting from america he was teaching the different people to have clean water because they didn't have any of that i mean after two thousand years they're still living like uh people out in the middle anyway they uh finished their work and they came home and um had turned over the work to many people who were over there that they had trained, and it was going uh, well, and then his wife got sick and very quickly died. From the time that she got sick until she passed to go to heaven was probably only a couple of weeks, and she was a go-getter, and she was, uh, uh, thank you, Lord, I didn't serve over there with her. I would have been, uh, but in any event, what a shock. And uh, we went to the funeral. And they spent a little bit of time talking about all the things that had happened in her life. And then her husband got up. And his focus was on where she was and what she was doing and what she was facing. And he went down the list of the truths. And pretty soon he was up there and he was a big smile on his face. And he was, I thought he was going to dance. And he was just uh, honestly, sincerely joyful because his mind had been, on the things that were given to him to be true. He uh, was, uh, I was sitting there and I, uh, well, I left encouraged, but frankly, I was a little bit ashamed and embarrassed at my own lack of joy, my own lack of understanding here. But the point here is what we uh, are going to face trials we're going to face tribulations and the more mature you are the harder it's going to be because he's not going to allow you to be tested beyond what you're able and if you're a weak wimpy little tiny young Christian it's not going to be a great test but when you get to the place where many of you are the test could be very very strong beyond your ability God doesn't want you to go through it He'll provide a way of escape and we've learned that lesson but they don't get easier the the uh, What does God want you to do now? He wants you to excel still more in hope. He wants you to be able to give others comfort. He wants you to be able to stand, having imposed God's perspective on what you face, which is hard, and many of you have been good examples of that. But here's what we're to do, and then with one another, we're to comfort them. We are to excel still more in hope when we're mature, that we might be an encouragement to others. We are to excel still more in honoring our spiritual authorities. We find this in verse 12 and 13 of the fifth chapter here in this letter to this mature church. We uh, request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Who has been placed in your life by God to lead and guide and have some authority over you? Husbands? Parents? Elders? Have you honored them highly in love? You have? Well done. Now, you are to excel still more in this. esteem them very highly in love because of their work and because of who they are. You know, our Lord did this at 12. He went down at 12 and he went to the temple and he began to do things that were just an amazing shock to the scribes and Pharisees who were there teaching them. And uh, his parents, who had taken him down there and he'd been there before, they went on the annual trip down and they were with a group and they were... and he was a mature 12 year old and so they weren't too concerned about what happened because he knew what to do and he'd been gone and they took off and they got to day's journey and uh, he wasn't there. So they went back and looked around and they found him in the temple and he said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? There's no record of what dad said There is a record there of what mom said, and we can anticipate. So what does it say? He said he continued in subjection to them, and he grew in wisdom and stature and in knowledge and in favour with God and with man. So he didn't sin. He never sinned. What he did was not wrong, it was not a sin. He came back and he did what God wanted him to do, which was to excel still more in honoring the ones that God had placed into his life as authorities. And he went back to Nazareth with them. There's another story that we could tell about when he first started his ministry and his mother somehow got over there and she said, hey son, they're out of water or they're out of wine. He says, "Mm, I don't think he did it this way. Woman... What am I going to do with you? Is a good translation of that. Woman, what am I going to do with you? And so he did. He honored her. And he said, do whatever she says. And then, whatever. In any event, what a great example. Now, we could go into Daniel and Joseph. Slaves who had been placed under subjection of these foreign owners. They, to the extent they were able, by not violating God's ways, they, had, they honored them. They gave them their lives. They made them successful. They did what was not done by hardly anyone else. They excelled still more in this. So here the point is, in this particular area, which you have done well, most probably, ask the Lord how you can do better than you have done. How do I honor those who have been placed in my life as my spiritual protectors and leaders? We request of you, brethren, that you esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work. Excel still more in that area. I could give you some ideas, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Um, We are also to excel still more in assuming responsibility for others. Verses 14 and 15. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. Always seeking after that which is good for one another and for all men. You've been a good member. You have love for one another that I brag about. I want you to excel still more in living your life for others, particularly in your church. Let me go through very quickly these four exhortations here. Admonish the unruly. These are the undisciplined, unruly, in spiritual principles of life. To admonish someone is literally to bring to their mind. To tell them, remind them of the truth. And we're thinking here of people who are in our lives, in our churches, who are in need of some admonition. Admonish one another, exhort one another, reprove one another. We are to, these are not negative words, but they do require some action, and they may get a re- reaction, but we're to do this. As a pastor, I've had uh, many more people come up to me and they say, Pastor, there's somebody over here who really needs some help. Would you consider going and talking to them as opposed to them coming and saying to me, my brother and sister is struggling in this area and I've talked with them about this. Uh, They're missing the mark here and they didn't uh, listen very well, so I got a couple of others and we went and talked to them and encouraged them. I've been doing that for a, a while and loving them, would you consider going with us? Um, and we need to be sure we do this in the right way and we'll, we'll help. You see my point here. How many, uh, many, many more times the people at church say, well, it's not my responsibility to admonish them. That's that's the pastor's job or that's the elder's job or that's somebody else's job and may the Holy Spirit bring conviction to them and all of that, but as far as coming to them and whatever means the lord's bond servant must be kind to all patient when wrong with gentleness doing what correcting those who are in opposition admonish the unruly <clears throat> says to encourage the uh, faint-hearted this takes some gentleness and patience doesn't it faint-hearted you have given much time to this, perhaps, to comfort them and go to them. Now God wants you to look around and excel still more in seeing those people that need to be encouraged. They're faint-hearted in walking the Christian life. It's scary. How do I handle this? They're needed to be exhorted to do it. it says to help the weak. To come alongside them is the concept, to carry their load is the idea. And this takes effort and time, some of your life, to help the weak. If you've served Christ for a time, you've helped many. I've seen some lists of the people that some of you have helped. It's impressive. What would God say to you this morning? Excel still more. Finish your course. Fulfill your ministry. It's not over yet. Good job. But excel still more for me. There's a final group here. It says to be patient with all men. The all is the word is the word I struggle with. Some people I'm very patient with. It's <laughs> pretty easy. Patient with them. Have you given up on some people? After years, perhaps, of loving, accepting, and forgiving them, coming back and getting God's grace to do that. Well, good job. What's the exhortation here? Be patient with all men. We urge you, brother. We urge you, sister, to admonish the unruly, and excel still more in it, and these other particular groups and individuals. When you're alone with the Lord, asking Him what to do for the day or for the year, ask Him to bring to mind these people that He would like you to give more of your life to, who you've already given it to. But that's the ministry He might have for you. He never gives up on you. The Holy Spirit will never leave you or forsake you. Have you been quenched? Have you been grieved? Well, you need to be available to go if God would open a door and see yourself and give them comfort. There is a final exhortation here in this letter to the most mature church in the New Testament. They are to excel still more, persevering in adversity. Rejoice always. Pray. Without ceasing. He's not saying you never do this. He's just saying you need to excel still more in these things. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. I was taken last year by the ending of the sixth chapter of Ephesians, which talks about the armor of God. And at the end there, talks about prayer and there are four alls in it I want you to be consumed with all prayer at all times with all perseverance for all the saints that takes up most of the day if you're doing it all the time with all perseverance with all types of prayer for all the saints you know how many saints there are in the world my favorite Christmas present this year was given to me by my youngest son, and uh, I, he heard me complaining about the fact that I had a little tiny map. I had some, but we, when we moved, we didn't take them with us. So in my uh, little office wall now, and it's about, uh, well, it's bigger than that, <laughs> and it's a picture of the world. And. Uh, one of my favorite times in the morning is when I'm spending with the Lord just to put my chair in front of it. And I'll look up and what he gives me, uh, has me go to. Do you know where Albania is? Interesting. I have not ever prayed for the saints in Albania until this week. And I could go through some other. Cards, but Albania is between uh, Greece and uh, Italy, right in there. Very unusual country. And there are Christians there. Uh, saints. And I'd never, ever prayed for those saints in my entire life. hadn't got around to it. So this week I've been praying for all the saints in Albania. And I don't know what effect that has. But uh, I'm told to be praying without ceasing. And I'm to be talking to the Lord as uh, we go through this. But uh, particularly in these difficult situations that we face, let me close here by reading a story about someone that you know, Fanny Crosby regarding her facing her adversity and rejoicing always, giving thanks for what she faced. Uh, and I'm going to read this uh, single page rather than, than go through it, but it's uh, a, uh, an account of her uh, life. The old-time hymn writer Fanny Crosby had that choice to make, I'm sure when she learned that her sightless world was the result of a doctor's foolish mistake, she was forced to deal with wondering what might have been. The hot compresses her physician had employed to cure her eye infection at six weeks of age had only succeeded in scarring sensitive tissue. His act had rendered her permanently blind. Few of us know what it's like not to see not being able to describe the color yellow or distinguish a loved one's face in the crowd or navigate a city block or street crossing simply by spotting obstacles and watching the traffic. What if even the simplest tasks of pouring your breakfast cereal or counting change or sorting the laundry required the intended, the intently focused attention of your hearing and touch? We forget to be thankful for the blessing of sight. Yet Fanny Crosby, writer of more than 8,000 hymns, enough to fill 15 complete hymnals, stacked one on top of the other, enough to cause her publishers to resort to ascribing to her multiple pen names to make her output seem more believable, she saw things another way. She became thankful for the blessing of blindness. At eight years of age, she composed this bit of verse. Oh, what a happy child i am although i cannot see i am resolved that in this world contented i will be how many blessings i enjoy that other people don't so weep or sigh because i'm blind i cannot nor i won't imagine being able to say as fanny crosby did i could not have written thousands of hymns if i had been hindered by the distractions of seeing all the interesting and beautiful objects that would have been presented to my notice. As she wrote in her autobiography, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for it. I thank him for blindness. She uh, persevered in adversity and excelled still more. Well, as you begin this next year, I encourage you to take this list that you'll find in uh, 1 Thessalonians, the introduction to it there in 2 Corinthians, and the one there that I show in Romans you'll also find in 1 Thess, but it's clear there, the connection with the two in Romans chapter 1. But I encourage you to take this and set aside some time to be with the Lord You have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And he has promised to guide you in the way that you should go and strengthen you to do his will. And he has enabled you to excel for him abundantly. Ask him how you can do that this year. Oh, I'm weak. Oh, I'm older. Oh, I'm struggling here because you put me at a more difficult place than I've ever been before. Good. When you're weak, then he's strong. There is in the back, uh, if you'd like to pick it up, it may be helpful to you, but it's a way to find and fulfill God's plan for your life this year. And if you take it with you, it will give you uh, how the others in Scripture that we know of spent their time and went to be with the Lord. And uh, the Lord himself doing this as he went up by himself to be with the Father. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for sending your son who excelled still more for us. He had and is and was everything. Everything. Needed nothing. Nothing could be added to him. And he gave his life for us. May you help us to be like him. We look forward to being with you. May you come quickly, Lord Jesus. Until that time, may you strengthen us. May you uh, guide us in the way which we should go. May you bring to our mind those things that you would have us to do. As we would uh, love you back. As we would honor our Savior. And as we would seek these ones that we are to encourage and give our life to, that we might uh, see them and rejoice with them in your presence one day. As we stand before you blameless and with great joy because of what our Savior has done for us. And we thank you in his name and for his sake. Amen. Lord bless you.